Thank you, Carrie. Great song. Today is a day I've been looking forward to. They've left music on my speaker table, which can only mean one thing. They want me to sing with them on the last song. Is that right, Josh? That means no. I invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. The title of the message is A Contented Mind. Don't raise your hand, but are, is your mind contented or do you worry about things? Are you happy? Are you content? I had a phone call from a grandparent a few years ago, and they were struggling with their grandson. He was living with them. He couldn't live with his parents during those days, and so he was living with them. He wasn't doing good at school. He wasn't doing good at home. He was becoming a behavior problem, and so they sicked me on him. That's what it means. If you're a youth pastor, you know. They called me and said, will you meet with this guy? And I thought, sure. But leading up to that, in fact, they're bringing him later that day, so I didn't have a lot of time to think about it or prepare, but I'm just like, what am I going to say to this guy? He probably doesn't know the Lord. I'd love to lead him to Christ. I'd love to talk to him about the gospel. But I did something I've never done before. He walked in. You could tell by the expression on his face. He didn't want to be there. He didn't like me from the outset. We had never met before, but he had already determined, I don't care about this guy. And so he sat across the table from me, and I simply said, are you happy? And he broke down in tears, and he said, no, I'm not happy. Because my next line was, if you're happy, I don't have anything else to say to you, but if you ever get to where you realize you're lost and you need a Savior, come talk to me. But a child was born into the kingdom of God that will experience eternity with God in heaven just from a question, are you happy? Paul's going to talk about the contented mind in this passage. And Paul said in Philippians that he had learned the secret of contentment. He's learned that whatever, whatever circumstances he finds himself in, he's learned to be content there. So let me read the first few verses of Colossians chapter, one, uh, chapter 3. And let's look at these thoughts from the Apostle Paul. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore... Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. So the first thing we see is that word therefore. Paul has built in the first two chapters a doctrinal case for the practical teaching he's going, to experience, he's going to express in the last couple. And that's almost a theme in Paul's writing. Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament, and a lot of them he takes the first half of the book to expound and, and get some doctrinal teaching that then he unpacks and, and makes very practical. So he says, therefore, if. The word if could also be translated since. And what Paul was doing is, if you've been raised up with Christ, he wasn't trying to create doubt in their mind. He's basically saying, if you're a believer, if you've come to faith in Christ, then this is true about you. So if you've been raised up with Christ, do these two things. So Paul's not trying to create doubt in their mind. He's basically saying, listen, if you're a child of God, then there ought to be a couple things true about your life. 
if you've been raised up, past tense with present reality, to be co-resurrected with Christ. So the first thing we do is we keep seeking the things above. Paul's saying, listen, the world has done a great job of getting you to seek the things below. In fact, the Colossian believers had come out of a pagan past. Immorality was rampant in Colossians. So Paul's saying you need to have a shift of focus, a shift of your mind, and you need to, because you've been raised up with Christ, you need to seek the things above, because that's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Now let me warn you up front, there's going to be some Bible drill today. I don't have all of these on the screen, but just to, just to complement the teaching and get your mind wrapped around some of the teaching, I'm going to read some scriptures. Paul, Paul says that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now why do you sit down? You sit down because the work's done. So Jesus Christ, eternal God, came in the person of an infant, born in Bethlehem, lived a perfect life, around the age of 33, was crucified on a cross, conquered death in the grave, spent the next 40 days with his disciples off and on, but he's ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. But just so you know, that's prophesied in the Old Testament. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. But Jesus even said it in Luke chapter 22, verse 69. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of the power of God. And then in Acts chapter 7, we see Jesus. The only time we see Jesus standing. Does anybody remember why Jesus stood? Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verse 56 Stephen is being stoned. Right before he dies, he looks up into heaven and he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So Jesus is sitting there. And what is Jesus doing in the meantime? According to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he's our advocate with the Father. So that's good news. Jesus isn't just resting in heaven. The work is finished. He's preparing to come and bring us to himself but he's an advocate. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, I'm writing these things so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Isn't that good news? To know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, praying on our behalf, praying for us with the Father. So he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So seek the things above. And the only way you can do that is to set your mind on those things. Literally, continuous action Keep setting your mind on the things above. It doesn't mean you withdraw from the world. It doesn't mean you become so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. It means this. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he prayed to the Father on our behalf, and he said, I don't ask you to take them from the world, but I ask you to keep them from the evil and the evil one in the world. So we're still in the world for a reason, but our mind has shifted to heavenly things. Keep seeking the things above, and the only way to do that is to set your mind on it. How do you do that? Practical experience. How do you set your mind on the things above? Well, read your Bible. The way you're going to know Scripture about heavenly things is to read them in the Bible. So one way we set our mind on the things above is open up the pages of the Bible. Go to a church that preaches and teaches the good news of Jesus Christ. Go to a church that teaches through Scripture. Be a part of a Bible study. Be a part of a small group. Prayer, one of the ways you set your mind on the things above is just pray. Ask God, God, show me things that I need to be thinking about. Show me where my focus needs to be. And even worship. 
One of the ways we focus on the things above and set our mind there is through worship. And sometimes that means singing. Worship can be more than just singing, but it's, I like the singing part. So I like what our worship team has done to bring us into the presence of God and worship Him. So set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Listen, the world does a great job of keeping you, your mind set on Him. If you've driven around Myrtle Beach at all, Garden City at all, you see billboards, you see signs, you'll see on television commercials. What do advertisers want you to do? Main thing is they want you to buy their product, but they create a need. They want you to think, you can't live without this. This will make you happy. This will make you fulfilled. The problem is this is typically very expensive, and once you get it, it will end up breaking. So advertisers want you to focus on what they're selling. Jesus is saying, no, focus on heaven and the reality that is true and is there. So first is to focus on God. Second is to wait confidently. If you're a child of God, you're waiting. You're in a process of waiting. You're going to see Jesus face to face. You're going to experience God in all of his glory and all of his reality. But what do we do in the meantime? Well, he's got a purpose for us. He's got something for us to do. But we wait confidently. In fact, that's really the purpose for this new perspective. Our mind has shifted to heavenly things and heavenly thoughts. And we do that confidently. Because Paul says, you have died. The old has died. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And your life is hidden with Christ. Again, I just got to share a few verses from Isaiah and from the Psalms about being hidden in Christ. You feel like sometimes you've come to faith in Christ and you've been left alone. You have not been. Listen to Isaiah 49.2. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me. And he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. Isn't that a cool way of expressing it? When you hear the word hidden, that's where security and safety takes place. You, as a child of God, are hidden with Christ in heaven. Psalm 27, 5. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And then Psalm 31, 19 and 20. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of men. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Now, who wrote most of the Psalms? David. David wrote most of them. Not all of them, but he wrote most of the Psalms. And David cries out to God. Why? Because there were times that people were trying to kill David. King Saul was after David to take his life. People were speaking against David. And so David said, Father, hide me in the shelter of your wings. Protect me there. Keep me safe. And so Paul says, your life is hidden with Christ in God, who is our life. He doesn't just give life. He is our life. But here's what's going to happen. That life is ultimately going to be revealed. Here's what happens on planet Earth right now. You come to faith in Christ, and people, some of them don't get it. They don't understand what's happened to you. I remember when I became a Christian as a young 12-year-old, people said, you've changed. What's different? And it took me a while because sheepishly, I didn't want, to, I didn't want them to think I was weird or something, so I'd kind of talk around it. But finally I said, you know what? I'm a Christian now. I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I had one friend say, how, do, how long do you think that'll last? What was he saying? He was saying, hey, I've had a religious experience too, but it doesn't last long. Well, that's because religion doesn't last long. Relationship with Jesus is eternal. 
So you have been hidden with Christ, but one day you will be revealed with Christ. For everybody that kind of looks at you like, like you've got an extra eye on your forehead, one day it's going to become very apparent why you are who you are, and you're going to be revealed in the glory that Christ is going to come with. So who is our life? When Jesus is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. It's going to become obvious. If you've got your Bibles and want to look at Revelation 19, I want you to catch a picture Jesus came as an infant, placed in a manger, no room for him in the inn. Jesus came riding on a donkey into Jerusalem to be crucified. He's not coming back as a baby. He's not coming back riding on a donkey. Listen to how John puts it in Revelation 19. And then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp, sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Folks, that day's coming. During the time of pandemic, people said, do you think we're closer to the return of Christ? And I said, we're closer than we've ever been. Does that mean it's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. It may be years from now. But Jesus Christ is coming again in power and glory. The bright light that is shown on the world is going to be focused. Every eye is going to be focused on Jesus as he comes on a white horse and as we come with him. So right now you're hidden, you're safe in the presence of God. But the third thought is to think forward. Again, Colossians have been born out of, they've, they've come to faith in Christ out of a pagan culture that was very debauched, very evil, very wicked. And so Paul's saying don't keep your eyes focused on where you came from. But focus on where you're going. So, so focus and think forward. Again, there's the word, therefore, verse 5. Let me get back to Colossians. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Doesn't mean just shun these things, but it's, it, your, your body can't pick these things up anymore. And he's going to mention five specific things that I want to walk through in a minute. Next week we'll get to more stuff in, the, in this passage that we're to take off and things that we're to put on. But the first thing he says is, consider your body dead, a decisive action with current, present results. Consider it dead to immorality. The word is the word pornea. We get the word pornography from this, but it meant more than that in the pages of the New Testament. It meant the things about you that are, that are wicked, the things about you that are sexually immoral, Consider your body dead to that. How much can a dead body do with that? Nothing. If you're dead, you've been crucified with Christ, but yet you're alive. And so in your life, you consider yourselves dead to those things, dead to immorality. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. It's the only thing I see that we're to flee from. We're to run away from sexual immorality. Everything else you submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you, James 4, 7. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But sexual immorality, 
run from it. If you see it coming, get somewhere else. When the temptation comes, do what we see in Old Testament and New Testament. Run, flee. Flee immorality. So consider yourself dead to that. Consider yourself dead to impurity, literally uncleanness or filthiness. And this begins with thoughts. Unclean, impure thoughts enter your mind. And before you know it, if you don't deal with it, you don't consider yourself dead to it, you're accepting those thoughts and it's leading to actions that are not good. So here's my question. How much unclean will you tolerate? As a youth pastor, the question I would get asked by youth sometimes was, how far is too far? Well, when I lived in Gastonia, North Carolina, I would say, well, maybe Charlotte. But that's not what they were talking about. They want to know, how close to the line can I get without stepping over the line? Paul's saying, consider yourself dead to immorality and now dead to impurity. Well, don't get so close to impurity that it's going to rub off on you. I had a friend that worked for Cheeto as a college student. He was taking chemistry and biology and all those things. And so his job was when, when the grain came into the Cheeto factory, he went out to the grain cars and stuck a rod in it and took samples from different spots in the grain car. And he was looking for things, impurities. He was looking for things like rat droppings and roach body parts. And I said, man, I am so glad there's somebody that does that that's keeping that stuff out of my Cheetos. He said, you don't understand. We don't keep it out. We just make sure it's not over a certain amount. So in other words, the government says it's okay if a little bit of rat droppings gets in your Cheetos just so it's not too much. Anybody feeling hungry right about now? And in case you're thinking, well, I'll never eat another Cheeto again, anything you buy that comes in a bag, potato chips, Cheetos, whatever, that's processed in a factory, has some impurities in it. And here's what my question for you is. If that grosses you out, your life it ought to be more grossed out. If you're going to flee Cheetos for the rest of your life, you need to flee a lot of other stuff, Fritos and everything that ends in O, Cheerios, Doritos. <laughs> All of those kinds of things. But listen, I'd a whole lot rather you eat a minuscule amount of rat droppings in your Cheeto than to allow impurities of the world into your life. So that's what Paul's talking about. Flee immorality, flee impurity, things that are unclean. Don't see how close you can get to it. See how far away you can get from it. Another thing to consider your, yourself dead to is passion. And the, the sense of the word is not just that you're passionate about things, but evil passion, an unnatural, inordinate lust or affection flee from those kind of things consider your body dead to those kind of things consider your body dead to evil desires literally a longing for what is forbidden evil desires again where does it begin it begins in your mind and so as we study the word of god as we pray as we worship we focus on other things and less and less on those things and be honest with god if you're struggling in some areas of evil desires tell god he knows God, I don't want to think those thoughts. How about, God, would you replace those things? As Romans says, would you renew my mind away from those things? And then the fifth thing is interesting. He says greed. So we've talked about immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, but also greed. Literally, greed is a selfish desire that's apart from God. It's basically saying God hasn't given me what I need. I'm going to take advantage of someone else to get what I need. It, it includes a disregard for the rights of others. It literally says, I want what I want, and I want it when I want it. And see, you can do that before you come to faith in Christ. You've got to consider yourself dead to that kind of stuff now that you've come to faith in Christ. Because listen, you've been, you've been delivered from the penalty of sin, but the presence of sin is still very active and in our lives. So consider yourself dead to greed, 
which Paul says amounts to idolatry. These are all things that you're saying, me, I'm more important than God, and so I become the thing that is worshipped. And so consider yourself dead to things like greed and idolatry. And it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come. You say, well, when's the wrath of God coming? Well, the wrath of God has already come in some ways. God disciplines those whom he loves. God punishes those who are disobedient. But there is coming a day when the fullness of God's wrath is going to be poured out on mankind. Here's the good news. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get the picture? God hates sin, so he's warning believers, stay away from it. Consider your body dead to it. Don't pick it up. Don't play with it. Don't return to things in your past. And if, you, if you're not a child of God, the only way you're going to get victory over those things is to come to faith in Christ. You become a brand new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. So consider yourself dead to those things because you also once walked in them. What does that mean? That means I am like the people who haven't come to faith in Christ. I am like the people that are walking in those evil and wicked things. That was part of my past. So it should give me a sympathy, an empathy, an understanding, and even a desire to share the gospel with folks who are trapped in sin they can't get out of. You used to walk in those things, but as a child of God, don't walk on in them anymore. So how do, we, how do we get to a place of contentment? I just want to close with a few thoughts about being contented. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. If you're most satisfied in God, if He's providing every part of your need, you're not going to look back at your past and say, I wish I could still play with that. I wish I could still walk in these evil ways because everything about you wants to glorify God and God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. So three thoughts. Contentment comes from trusting God. Contentment is, God, you are my, you are my life. You're my purpose. You're my contentment. I'm only fulfilled in you. And so I'm not going to go outside of God relationship to add anything to my life that I think is going to make me happy because it won't. So contentment comes, first of all, from trusting God. Second, it's the opposite of covetousness. Coveting things is looking at things that don't belong to you and saying, I want that. Well, if you want it, ask God for it. God may be answering your prayer by not giving you what you think you want. So contentment is the opposite of covetousness. And then last, contentment leads to a settled mind. Once you're contented in Christ, you're not looking somewhere else. Once you find what you're looking for, you quit looking, right? We find whatever we're looking for in the last place we look. After that, you don't look anymore. I think it was you two, Bono, that's saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's a sad commentary. Once you come to faith in Christ, you found what you're looking for. He's found you, and you're contented there. So set your mind on the things above and seek those things. Don't set your mind on the things of earth. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me.